The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. In 1996, uh, a certain British pop girl band busted onto the scene and demanded, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And Proverbs 3, in a sense demands the same thing. In fact, Proverbs 3 will tell you what you want, what you really, really want. But even more, and this is where the Spice Girls got it wrong, uh, came up short actually, Proverbs 3, Proverbs 3 tells you how to get what you really, really want. And that's what we're going to see from this text this morning, how to get what you really want, but then also what to do when you don't. And then finally, what you really, really want. Uh, again, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, that's what Andrew just read, and, and the way that you're going to benefit from this, this the most this morning is have a copy of God's Word open, open in front of you. Chapter 3 is long, we're going to cover it all, there's a lot to cover, I want you to be able to see the whole thing all at once in your lap, but we'll start here. What do you want? What do you want? Um, if you could snap your fingers right now and get one thing, what would it be? Marriage? Money? More time with your kids, a good night's sleep, health, friends, some peace, guidance on a big decision, a blessing from God. What would it be? Listen, whatever you just named inside your head, God's word gets you. It gets you. You're not crazy for wanting it. God understands what you want. In fact, throughout Proverbs 3, God promises lots of stuff to us. All kinds of things. Now, a couple words about the structure of, of Proverbs 3. If you look at your copy of, of Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 10 are structured with an admonition or counsel followed by a promise. So, verse 1, admonition. Verse 2, promise. Do you see it there in your text? Verse 3, admonition. Verse 4, promise. The odd verses are the counsel. The even verses are the promise. Verses 11 through 20 then break from that. We'll talk about those later. Okay, but then verse 21, another admonition. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And then verses 22 through 26, promise, 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 promise. Right, then it flips, verses 27, 28, 29, 31, admonition, admonition, admonition. And then it closes out with more promises. Well, if you just look through the promises part of Proverbs chapter 3, what you'll find is essentially everything you really want. Verse 2, a full life, like length of days and years of life, living long enough to, to see and influence the lives of your, of your grandchildren. Life not cut short, but also just beautifully full, beautifully full. Also in verse 2, peace, which is the Hebrew word shalom. One commentator flushes out the breadth of this loaded Hebrew word by saying, Shalom qualifies this life as having every sufficiency and good fortune, free from hostility and lack, and so filled with inner contentment, delight, joy, and pleasure as a gift from God. I'll take some of that, please, right? That'd be great. Let's keep going. What else has he got in here? Verse four, favor with God and man. Success. All right, we're talking about winning friends and influencing people. <laughs> Verse 6, straight paths, no detours, no, no hardships in life, no setbacks. 
God guiding you through the, the complex trail of life. Verse 8, healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. The idea here is, is wholeness, inside and out. You're flushing your bones all the way in. A healthy body, sure, but an inner health too, psychologically, emotionally, mentally. An, an inner wholeness that is deep and comprehensive as well as an outer one too. Verse 10, full barns and bursting vats, all right? Wealth, abundance, enough for you and enough to share, to be a blessing to others around you. Skip down to verse 23, security, sure-footedness, okay, confidence. Verse 24, safety, no fear, sleep, sweet sleep, like sweet, non-anxious, non-fretting or fearing sleep. In other words, rest for your weary souls. <laughs> Verse 26, the Lord guarding you from dangers, keeping you out of traps. Verse 32 talks about the, the Lord's confidence. That word means intimacy, like friendship with God. Deep and intimate friendship and fellowship with God. Verse 33, blessing in your home. So in your, in your marriage, in your, in your family, with your children, your grandchildren, blessing extending throughout it all. Favor and grace, verse 34. Honor, it can be translated glory, verse 35. Listen, that all sounds real nice, doesn't it? Real nice. Who doesn't want all of that? In fact, if you and I could get all of that, we'd be set, wouldn't we? Proverbs 3, so he tells you what you want, what you really, really want. But it doesn't stop there. It actually tells you how to get it. We see this in the odd verses, beginning in, in verse 1. Look at verse 1, right there in your, in your lap. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. That's the admonition. So you want length of days and years of life? You want peace? Here's how to get it. Focus on the teaching of this book. Get into it. Right? Get it into your heart. The word keep there in verse 1, it means obey. Let your heart obey my commands. There, there's no shortcut to that. But it's actually hard work. You're going to have to spend time in this book and you're going to have to spend years with it. You're not just trying to get into it, you're trying to get it into you. Don't forget it, Solomon says. Let your heart keep it all. And then verse 3 Look at verse 3. It says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, steadfast love and faithfulness are two terms that are used all throughout Scripture to describe God. And so part of what Solomon is saying here is never, never lose sight of God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards you. Don't lose it. Don't let it leave you, the NASB translation says. In other words, you want favor with God and man you want success, the promises of verse 4, to get that, you're going to need this. You're going to need to know deep down at the subterranean level of your soul that God's steadfast love and faithfulness is upon you. That he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You're going to need to believe that. You need to know that you know that you know that. That you are unconditionally loved by him and you always will be. How's that going to happen? Not by watching Netflix. It, it, it's not going to happen fast. 
You're going to need to submerse yourself like a, a submarine in the ocean of the scriptures where God reveals and tells and shows over and over and over of his steadfast love and faithfulness for his people. You've got to immerse yourself in the scriptures. There's no shortcut to it. And it's going to take years. You're going to bind it around your neck, he says. That's the, the, the point. Uh, the point is that God's word in particular, his, his attributes of steadfastness and faithfulness would be around your neck and influencing everything that you do in your life. You've got to get it on the tablet of your heart. Deep inside you. And the only way to get this deep inside of you is for you to get deep inside of God's word. And remember, we're talking about how to get what you really want. There's more. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Listen, these are some of the most famous words in the book of Proverbs. Right here. You want straight paths? You want no detours? No setbacks? Here's how you get it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Look to him, not yourself. Look up, not down. Trust him, not yourself, not what the world says to you. Do not lean on your own understanding. Here's what this means really practically, all right? When, when what you want to do conflicts with what God's word wants you to do, it means you do what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. There's a test here, see? Do, do you let the Bible override you? Or do you agree with the Bible only when it agrees with you? If that's how you approach God's word, if you merely agree with the Bible when it agrees with you, that's not obedience, it's coincidence. That's not trusting. That's just the remnant fumes of a Christian morality that have been baked into our culture coming out. It just so happens that what you want lines up with Scripture. You're a cultural Christian, which isn't a Christian at all. <laughs> Trusting is submitting yourself to God's word even when you disagree with it. It's letting the Bible challenge you, letting the Bible contradict you, disturb you, saying, it's you saying, I'm, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust the Lord. It's not easy, but here it is. You want straight paths? Here's how to get it. Verse 7 says something very similar. Look at verse 7. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. From, from evil. You, so you want healing? Verse 8. Wholeness inside and out. The, the refreshment all the way down into your bones. Here's how to get it. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Again, it's way hard. Way hard to do, but here it is. Have you ever, um, you ever heard someone say, or, or said it to yourself, uh, you know, I, I know God's word says X, Y, and Z, but I really don't understand why I can't fill in the blank. You ever said that? You ever heard somebody else say that? There's a choice to be made there, isn't there? Will you fear the Lord and turn away from your own understanding? Will you trust in him with all your heart, not lean on your own understanding, or will you be wise in your own eyes? This is why chapter 1, verse 7 is, is so important in the book of Proverbs. It keeps coming up over and over in, in places like right here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
See, the, the, the fool is one who is wise in his own eyes. The wise is the one who fears the Lord, trusts the Lord, acknowledges the Lord in all her ways. And therefore, she isn't wise in her own eyes. See, the wise person, this is what Proverbs teaches us, the wise person is someone who knows they're foolish. The wise know they're foolish, that's why they trust in the Lord. The foolish, on the other hand, are convinced that they're wise. And so if you're wise in your own eyes, you're a fool. And if you live that way, you won't get what you really want. There's more. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Okay, the, the Hebrew word here for honor means heavy. It's the same word that gets translated as glory or worship. To worship the, worship the Lord with your wealth. Give to the Lord of your first fruits. Don't hold back. Give him the best, not the leftovers. That's a pathway here towards plenty. It's the pathway towards abundance. We can keep going. We'll go a little quicker. Verse 21 says, how do, how do you get what you want? Don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Verse 27 and 28, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to, to do it. Don't say, come again. Um, go and come again when you have it right now. In other words, help people. Help your needy neighbor. Verses 29 through 30 then are about protecting your innocent neighbor. Verse 31, avoiding your violent neighbor. Live like this, Solomon is saying, and what you want will be yours. Closeness with God, blessing in your house, favor with others, honor. Now listen, if we stopped right here and said, let us pray. You know, if we stopped right here, what, what we have are all the ingredients for a really good prosperity gospel recipe. All right? You know what prosperity gospel is? Say, do these things, and God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. All right? Um, and if we're really honest with ourselves, for some of us, that's what we really, really want. We want God to be a great vending machine in the sky where if we'll do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things, he'll shower down all the really good things that we really want. Money, friends, success, health. You might not use those words, but think about what you really want. And if that's how you approach God, listen, <laughs> it is a cold-hearted American consumerism in religious disguise. That's all it is. That's not Christianity. That's self-eanity. You're not trusting God. You're not fearing him. You're using him to get what you really want. That's not biblical. It's twisting the scriptures to say, to say what you wanted to say. And it's avoiding the parts of scripture that you don't want to hear, such as verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. And so one of the reasons that we know that the prosperity gospel is not biblical is that it's far too simplistic. It, it doesn't have room for the complexities of life. The prosperity gospel says, here's how to get what you really want. Just follow the recipe. But where it comes up short is with what to do when you don't get what you want. When that happens, the prosperity gospel says, you're doing it wrong. 
Um, you, you're, not doing, you're not doing it good enough. Uh, keep the commandments better. Tie it around your neck tighter. Trust the Lord more. Give, give God more of your money. You're not doing enough. But repent harder. There's some secret sin in there somewhere. Let's find it. And that's far too simplistic of an answer, actually. Um, do, do you remember in John, chapter, in John chapter 9, when Jesus and the disciples are walking by a blind man? Do you remember this story? And, and the disciples ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because what, what they're asking is, obviously he's blind for a reason. Whose fault is it? And you remember how Jesus answered? Neither. And then he says, this man is blind so that the works of God might be displayed through him. Hmm. You see, you, you can keep all the admonitions in Proverbs 3 and still not get all the promises. You, you can be doing your very best, trying your hardest. You can try to be doing everything just right and, and still have things come out hard in your life. A child with an unexplainable illness. Or, or, or one with an explainable illness that's just going to be hard for the rest of your life now. Um, an unexpected surgery. <laughs> your truck getting stolen. Uh, an unexpected death. An expected death. Whether it's, it's all suffering, right? Whether it's grandma who lived to be 99 or the loss of a child at nine months or nine weeks in the womb or nine years of old in a car accident. It's all suffering, divorce, losing your job, a friendship gone bust, your bank accounts get hacked, that investment falling through. Whatever it is, God sometimes brings, sometimes allows difficult things to come into our lives. Even when we're trusting him with all of our heart. Even when we're doing our darndest to keep his commandments. Why? Why? Well, it's actually one of life's biggest questions, isn't it? Uh, we don't have time to do a full theology of suffering this morning, but, and I want to be careful to not make light of any suffering you're experiencing right now, okay? In fact, if you're in the throes of, of something that's really terrible right now, uh, this, might be the, this might not be the time and the place for the medicine that's about to be poured out, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not a painkiller, um, and we should never handle truth, this truth glibly, like, you know, Oxycontin for our suffering or something like that, but with all those caveats laid down, Sometimes God brings difficult things into your life, allows difficult things to come into your life for discipline. Verses 11 and 12. Now this is challenging for us because when we hear the word discipline, we think punishment. God is obviously punishing me. Well, not necessarily. In fact, if you trust in Jesus, not at all. He took it all on on the cross. Discipline is, is far more reaching than punishment. It's, it's positive too. Anyone who's ever tried to train a child on how to get up at time, on time or train an employee on how to show up at work on time or train a child to sit through a church service or something, anything, right? Uh, anyone who has started a workout regimen, you know that discipline is positive, not just punitive. And God sometimes brings, sometimes allows Stuff like this to come into your life. And Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 say, don't despise that. Don't grow weary of that. It tells us, see, what to do when we don't get what we want. 
Now, the absolute most helpful stuff that I've read on suffering from a Christian perspective actually comes from an 18th century Anglican pastor named John Newton, um, who's he's best known for writing the, the hymn Amazing Grace. You've probably heard of him for that, but he's also an amazing letter writer. And if you can, if you can never get your hands on a copy of Newton's letters, you will, you will not regret that, right? Uh, but Newton, through his letters, he has such a pastoral heart and such a solid views, uh, view of God when it comes to suffering that he can say things like this to, to, to parishioners. Though he, talking about God, though he put forth his hand and seemed to threaten our dearest comforts, yet when we remember that it is his hand, when we consider that it is his design, his love, his wisdom, and his power, we cannot refuse to trust him. See, Newton believed that every affliction in the life of the believer is designed by God and sovereignly implemented by God for our good. It's discipline. Not, not merely punitive, but positive. He wrote, experience testifies that a long course of ease and prosperity without painful changes, without difficult stuff coming into your life, has an unhappy tendency to make us cold and formal in our secret worship. In other words, easy lives weaken. They don't strengthen, they weaken our communion with God. See, when you don't get what you want, when when trials come into your life, ultimately, they're a doorway into a deeper communion with God. It doesn't mean grief doesn't exist. It doesn't mean you take this like a spiritual painkiller, right? doesn't mean if you just have enough faith, you won't experience grief. You will. But our faith comes alongside our grief. It coexists with your grief, trusting, even in the painful stuff, that God is at work. Newton taught that there's no wasted pain in the Christian life if that pain draws us closer to Christ. And then he said one of my favorite lines, he said, Christ is never more all-sufficient for us than when Christ is all we have. That's wisdom. And it's the kind of wisdom you're going to need when you don't get what you want. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Verse 11 teaches us, see, that there are two temptations that come our way when we don't get what we want. The first is that we would despise God and his discipline. The second is that we would grow weary, that we'd despair. The first says, I am so angry at God. How could he? The second says, he must really hate my guts. Or, or, he must not be able to take care of this. The first temptation to despise, see, doubts God's goodness. The second to despair, doubts his sovereignty. But verse 12 tells us in reality, he loves you. He delights in you. He disciplines the ones he loves. He reproves you because he loves you. And if you're going to make it through this life, you're going to need this wisdom. It's the wisdom that says, hey, 
No matter what else is going on, God is at the center of it all. God is. He's the center. It's not selfianity. It's Christianity. Christianity. Verses 19 and 20 are helpful with this. Look at, look at them. They say, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. It's a, a declaration and a reminder that God is sovereignly in control of everything. He created everything, established everything. Verse 20, by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. He's good. He sustains. That's what the deeps breaking open and the clouds dropping down the dew is all about. He brings moisture, goodness, hard soil softening moisture to us. I was talking to my dad, uh, the farmer, um, uh, a few weeks back and asking him about his crops because that's what you do. Um, and, and he said, it's the, this was a couple weeks back before this last week's rains, and he said it's the driest summer he's ever seen, right? And, um, and then he, I, he started talking about his dryland corn. Now, dryland corn, city folk, is, is corn that you plant in the ground, but there's no irrigation, there's no sprinkler system, right? So you just plant it, and then you you're hoping for rain, you're praying for rain, that it grows up, you, know, you have very little input costs into it, and this is how it works, right? Um, and he said about his dryland corn a couple weeks back, he said, if we don't get rain this week, I'm not sure it's going to make it. Right? Church, here's the great thing about our God. He always provides just the right amount of soil, soil softening moisture in your life. It might not always be what you want, but it's always what you need. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Or to quote Newton one more time, everything is needful that God sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. (laughs) He loves you. He delights in you. And it's easier to disbelieve God than it is to believe in a sovereign God and wrestle with his goodness when suffering comes into your life. Too much of Christianity is focused on what we want. Not nearly enough is focused on what to do when we, when we don't get it. Too much of Christianity is focused on how to get what you want. And again, not enough is focused and what to do when we don't get it. What do you do when you don't get it? Trust in his sovereignty. Wrestle with his goodness. And remember that he loves you, that he delights in you. Draw closer to him in communion with him. Experience even more of him. Now listen, where does that leave us? I mean, what do we do with the rest of this passage? Right? I mean, what do we do with all these admonitions and their attached promises? Is, it, is this false advertising? Is Proverbs 3 false advertising? Is, should we just ignore these? Was God, was God duping us when he put this in the Bible? Was he just kidding, you know? No, what we do with these is we understand that what we're reading here is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. This is where we realize that genre matters when we're reading the Bible. Proverbs isn't law. 
These are not universal, absolute promises. Do this exactly, get this exactly. That's the prosperity gospel. No, what we have here is wisdom literature, and therefore, an important way to understand the Proverbs is that they are generally true now, but always ultimately true later. Generally true now, but always ultimately true later. For example, look at, look at the last verse of Proverbs chapter 3, our chapter today. It says that the wise will inherit honor. That word can also be translated glory, I said earlier. But fools get disgrace. That's generally true now. Generally true now. Live your life according to biblical wisdom. You'll receive honor. But it's not always universally absolutely true, is it? Think of persecution. Think of injustice. Think of Jesus. Right? Fools get disgrace, second part says. A lot of the time. Most of the time. But not all the time. Sometimes fools are quite honored in this world. It's called TikTok. Right? right? But, but, but look at it. Proverbs 3.35 we can say is generally true now, but there's nuance, right? There's fringe cases, extenuating circumstances brought about by the brokenness of this world. But we can also say Proverbs 3.35 will always be ultimately true later when Christ returns. Fools getting disgrace. That will be the understatement of eternity, right? But the wise... The biblically wise, those who fear the Lord, have a right relationship with him, will inherit eternal honor, eternal glory. Generally true now, always ultimately true later. The Proverbs are not law, they're wisdom. And even if they were law, none of us could perfectly keep them. I mean, go back to verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Trust him entirely. Trust him exclusively. None of us can do that perfectly. But we know one who did. Jesus. The, The one, the only one, who did not forget his father's teaching, whose heart really did perfectly keep the commandments, perfectly fulfill all the Proverbs, who really did trust the Lord with all his heart and not lean on his own understanding, who in all his ways acknowledged him, honored the Father with everything he had, even his life, even his death. Jesus, like wisdom incarnate, the wisdom from God, the one who perfectly obeyed, who was perfect in wisdom, and when you trust in him and his life and his death and his resurrection for you, Not only is his resurrection and his death and his perfect life of obedience counted as yours, his wise ways of living are too. You receive it all. You receive it all. All the promises of Proverbs are always ultimately true for you if you trust in Jesus because of Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says it this way in the New Testament. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the kind of wisdom that Proverbs wants you to have. 
It, it runs deeper than what you want. It sustains you when you don't get what you want. It's what you really, really want. I, I really hope that you still have Proverbs 3 open in your lap because I, I want you to carry this out of here with you today. But verse 13. I want us to read this section with the generally true now, always ultimately true later understanding. Are you ready? Verse 13. Listen to this. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Blessed, it says. For the gain from her is, what's the word? Better than gain from silver. And her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Let that sink in on you. Nothing you desire, nothing can compare. Long life is at her right hand. That's one of the things we said we wanted earlier. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. Shalom. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. That right there is what you really, really want. If you're here today and you belong to Jesus, it's generally true for you now, and it's going to be ultimately true for you in heaven. It's already yours there. You're filthy rich in spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 1.3. Like in heaven... You're going to be walking around with those dollar bill guns. You know the dollar bill guns like in the Burger King commercial? Just shooting the, shooting the bills around. Except for it's not going to be money. Who cares about money? You're going to be shooting around every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's how rich and loaded you are. Better than silver. Better than gold. Nothing you desire can compare. You got Jesus. And he is what you really, really want. And listen, if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus, you don't belong to him, now's the time to belong to him. Verse 18 says, she, talking about wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. The tree of life is mentioned in the Bible only in Genesis, Revelation, and Proverbs. And it always refers to eternal life. Today is the day to lay hold of it, not by trying harder and doing better, but by simply trusting in Jesus. It's the way. He's the way. The only way to really, truly get what you really, really want. Listen, if you'd like to talk about that before you leave today, I'll just be up here after the service. I'd love to talk to you about trusting in Christ for the first time. But for everyone else, we've got what we really, really want. Let's enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you are, all that you've done for us. Thank you for giving to us all we really want and really need in and through Jesus. We praise you today in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, 
please visit www.twopillarschurch.com. <laughs>